Hello, welcome to the Cannoli Coach Podcast. I'm Kimberly Hambrick, and today I'm joined by Jason Stoughton. There are two words that describe Jason, passionate and authentic. He's a poster child underdog. Jason resurrected himself from a debilitating pituitary disease and an abusive home to become an international speaker and trainer where he aspires others. And one of Jason's favorite quotes is, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. Well, Jason, you always have a seat at my table. Thank you so much and welcome to the Cannoli Coach. Uh, awesome. I don't have to lug around that folding chair. I just show up and pull up uh, a chair at the, the seat there at the table. Thank you, Kimberly. It's good to be on. I'm honored to, uh, to be here. I'm really humbled that you gave me the invitation to partner with you on this podcast and you're doing a great job and I've enjoyed all the ones up until now. So for me to be able to kind of highlight and accent something that may or may not add value to others uh, through this medium is really an honor. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you. And I know that you're going to add value. So before we get uh, really into the conversation, would you mind just sharing a little bit about where you're located and a little bit about your life? Yeah, I'd be glad to. Uh, not, you know, that exciting, uh, but I am a Northwest, Northwest Georgia boy. I'm a has-been Yankee. <laughs> I live uh, in Kennesaw, Georgia. I got moved down here in 1985, uh, kicking and screaming uh, with my sister and my mom and dad from the Midwest. So I've been here most of my life. So I guess that's what makes me a has-been Yankee. But, uh, but yeah, I was, uh, I was born in the Midwest and ended up here and spent some time in Dallas, Texas, attending Bible college. And except for, you know, three years there, uh, the lion's share of my time has been in the South where sometimes you have to pipe in sunshine and get a translator to be able to understand what it is that, <laughs> that I say these days. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's where I'm at now. I, I'd be glad to tell you a little bit more about my, my upbringing and history if you want me to. Yeah, well, we'll talk a little bit about that. And, you know, I, I was born and raised in West Virginia. There are a lot of people who say you need a translator to understand me as well. So <laughs> we're going to be fine. I'm Italian. I talk with my hands. That's all you got to know, right? <laughs> I love it. I understand Italian hand language. So let's find me. <laughs> Good. We're going to get along great then. Hey, um, Jason, you know, the, the whole concept of the podcast is really built around memories of mine growing up. And I know and I believe that there are moments in our past that kind of set our foundation that put us on a trajectory forward. So I always ask my guests, uh, you know, is there something you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about and what lessons maybe that you took from that to move you to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. And you're, you're absolutely right. There's uh you know, who we are today is part and parcel of how we've handled experiences growing up, the environment that we've grown up, the conditions and circumstances we were exposed to, whether with or without our permission. And so I've got a unique history. Not too many people you will ever run into will be able to share a similar experience. Now, we all have different, you know, levels of adversity in our lives, experiences, we get them in all different denominations, but nobody is exempt from adversity in life. That's a fact. You know, it's, it's, it's going to knock on our door, whether we invite it from our choices or just 
by walking through life every single day. So yeah, I was mentioned uh, that I was born a, a low middle class family, Midwestern family. My earliest childhood memory is me falling asleep behind the couch in the afternoon on a summer day and my parents thought I was missing. I was wow. probably I was probably three or four years old and, and uh, I fell asleep and they had out uh, the entire search party. All the neighbors, they checked all the pools. Uh, they thought I was abduct, abducted. Um, and then I woke up and rubbed my eyes and I remember I was wearing a blue iron-on Frankenstein shirt that gl glittered, had a lot of glitter on it. And so that's my earliest childhood memory in, in uh, Westville, Indiana. Uh, my next memory was uh, of the fire department coming to our our house, same house, to get my head unstuck from the cast iron stair banister. I'd stuck my head through the banister, and I couldn't get my head back out because of my ears. <laughs> so, so uh, I, you know, I was very uh, rambunctious. I was had a lot of energy, very mischievous. I flooded the house. I'd get my sister up in the early in the morning, and then take her into the kitchen and climb up on the counter and get the, the the spray nozzle from the sink in the 70s. I think that's probably when they first came out, probably. <laughs> I would just give her a bath right there, a shower right there in the kitchen, and then it would trickle down into the carpet. And, you know, I ruined the carpet, set the carpet on fire. If it wasn't water, it was fire. Get out of the house that, you know, in the, in the middle of the morning while my parents were still sleeping, and I would always go three houses up because there were horses there. And one day, one of the owner of the horses, saw me as four or five years old sitting on one of his horses at 5 30 in the morning so my parents had to lock me in my room you know they put a chain lock on there first and then I was able to uh, like Houdini get between the crack of the door and the door jam and sneak out anyway so my dad put a slide bolt deadbolt on there so thank god the house didn't burn down and, and I died in my room but uh, but I remember I remember uh, also riding my bike on county line road at age six or seven my friend Sean Hover's house. I remember getting off, and again, I wasn't supposed to be on the road. Again, my mischievous self. I got off the shoulder of the road, hit about eight to ten inch drop off um, in the rut uh, there next to the road, and I remember wrecking my bicycle on that busy uh, two-lane road, and I hit my head on the asphalt and I blacked out. And that's the last thing I remember. Somebody drove by, saw me laying on the road, unconscious, picked me up went to the nearest house. They didn't know who I was. So he took me to the emergency room, rushed me to the hospital. Luckily, my mom actually had a friend that worked there at the hospital that knew who I was. And, you know, that, that opened up the door for, you know, some issues that I have health-wise. You know, was it that or was it some other shenanigans from, from my mom's choices when I was in utero? But um, I, I really don't know. But I, I lived a pretty normal life, um, you know, at that time. But I remember my parents fighting all the time. I remember my parents fighting all the time and, and, you know, wanting to go wherever my dad went. You know, mm -hmm. anytime I saw him put his boots on, I was trying to find mine because of wherever he was going, I wanted to go. I remember hunting with him at age nine in Winnemac, Indiana, and uh, learning a lot of lessons early on in life, you know, from, you know, being honest and don't stealing. I mean, I would, I remember one time he took me to the uh, convenience store with him. And he, before he took me and my sister at that time, he said, y'all are welcome to go, but don't you know, I'm not buying you anything. I said, okay. So we got there and I walked into the convenience store, looked to my left and there's a big candy cap aisle right there. And I remember seeing orange Tic Tacs. <laughs> and I remember holding them up, shaking them, asking them. And he said, uh-uh, I told you I'm not buying nothing. So 
when he turned his back, I stuck him in my pocket. And then when we got to back to his truck, I jumped into the bench seat of his 1977 uh, Cheyenne four-wheel drive GMC pickup truck. And when I did, he heard the rattle in my pocket. And I know we're doing this Zoom call right now, and you can see this, but, but I, have these, I have these orange Tic Tacs, and I've had orange Tic Tacs my entire life as a reminder of that lesson in my life. But uh, he made me get out of the truck and made me go back inside, admit what I did wrong. And then he looked at my sister and said, Kara, anything that you want in the entire store, it's yours. And so I remember her getting a big buggy full of stuff and me having to watch all that happen. So, you know, being honest, uh, those, those uh, lessons in life, uh, being responsible, do your part, people are counting on you were instilled in me at a young age. And, and I, I ended up moving to Wisconsin at age 10, uh, the best season of my life, hands down. Uh, my dad juggled two job, two house payments, um, trying to sell the house in 1983. Uh, during that season when interest rates were like 18% was impossible. And we, we were also in a drafty old farmhouse on 88 acres with no central heat and air. The only way to heat the house was from a wood burning stove in the kitchen. My sister and I had rooms upstairs uh, oh. in a steep, narrow hallway with 18 steps. I'll never forget it. I mean, you could touch the both sides of the wall as a, as a kid. That's how narrow it was. And there were two rooms upstairs. And I remember winters that were 40 below zero. And I remember 80 below zero with the wind chill. So we always slept upstairs unless it got that cold. In the kitchen, we would sleep close to the kitchen next to the next to the wood burning stove but you know it didn't matter if it was a typical winter night in Wisconsin if it was you know always below freezing and so it didn't matter, matter how many wool blankets we had sometimes we'd have to sneak back down and, and sleep close to the fire so um, you know life was was pretty grand in Wisconsin and I learned how to wrestle I actually tied for uh, third in the world in speed rope jumping which wow. is a real thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I learned how to do that. So that's, that's one of these weird things that I can tell people that I bet I can do and you can't do. <laughs> uh, yeah, you got, you got me on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it was just a great experience. And uh, for me, I learned how, to, you know, the power of strong friendships for the, at the two years of my life. And I got my first girlfriend, Michelle Zimmerman. I'll never forget her. Um, you know, there, and then I also experienced disappointment too, with my parents continuing to fight. And then again, in 1985, we moved to Georgia and, um, Georgia became home to me in the summer of 1985. I was 12 years old. I was in the sixth grade and, um, thank goodness. The one thing my dad did do at that time was intentionally put my sister and I in a really great school system. So year one was tolerable. Year two was awful. Uh, two days before my parents uh, before my uh, 14th birthday my parents divorced mm -hmm. and um, uh, that made that 14th birthday uh, birthday I'll never forget uh, soon after that my dad took a job in San Juan Puerto Rico and uh, my sister and I decided to live with my mom because we didn't want to move to Puerto Rico I remember visiting Puerto Rico and my dad pointing out the window and saying if you want to live here that's where you'll go to school and it looked like a penitentiary mm -hmm. I mean it really did I mean it was it had big fences with razor wire and that was the only only uh only gringo school so to speak in that entire island and I remember thinking there is no way so uh we live with my mom my sister was soon removed from the house um just uh to all the chaos and dysfunctionalism with my mom and bounced around from house to house until she ended up moving in with a wealthy 
family that lived in the same subdivision that we lived in. And uh, so she would drive by our house on the way to go live at the big house on the hill. And um, at that time, I realized also something was wrong with me, you know, but I was silent about it. My friends, you know, began growing in stature and I stopped growing at age 12. And um, I watched my friends go through puberty. I watched my sister go through puberty, um, but I didn't. You know, my mom, my mom continued to struggle in the errors of her way. I mean, she has the biggest heart in the world. I love my mom, trust me. And anything that I say about my mom, you know, it does evoke um, you know, a lot of emotions and it's not so much pain because I've forgiven her and, and I walk in forgiveness every single day, but it's just because I hate to see her hurt and I hate seeing people make the same choices that are destructive for their lives and affect so many people around them. And, and she continues to do that in her early 70s right now. So I do love my mom, but she's been battling mentally health, mental health issues her entire life. So, you know, I was rejected as a kid, experienced trauma, uh, just like my mom did. I mean, she was rejected by her, her mother, lived with her grandparents, became a codependent, her grandmother was codependent with her. She experienced entitlement, you know, the excuses, social excuses of victimhood that we deserve something more than what we're experiencing. And because my life ended up this way, I deserve special treatment. And so that became ingrained in her early on. And when that didn't work, she ended up making choices to help her cope with alcohol and substance abuse. And I began to to see that my entire life, from a child all the way through an adult. And so um, it was uh, mental and emotional abuse daily. Um, I, I even got a job at the age of 13, bagging groceries at the People Pleaser, just to keep from coming home after school. And so at, by age, age 14, I was severely depressed, very insulated, insecure, very inferior, self-conscious, inadequate in every way, shape, form, or fashion. I began to experience uh, learning disabilities. I, I had trouble reading. I had uh, obviously social and, and emotional coping issues. I never wanted to be noticed. I always wanted to be back in the crowd. And any time I was, I did everything I could to fit in, mm. you know, to get the, to, to not be the standout kid that looked different, acted different, uh, but it didn't work. I thought I was fooling everybody, but I didn't. So the first time I felt like I wasn't enough was when my dad moved, you know, to Puerto Rico. And soon after that, it became an everyday experience for me to not feel like I was good enough, like I, you know, was worth, had, had any worth. I began to believe I wasn't good enough and wasn't valued. So uh, the second time was dealing with my secret health, quote unquote, secret health struggle, you know, thinking that nobody else could see that i had some issues, <laughs> but I tried to keep it all a big secret, you know, but everybody could look at me and, and they could see that I was not normal. And so, uh, so I felt like because nobody took the time to put their arm around me, uh, Kimberly, and, and, and be able to tell me, I see that you're screaming on the inside for help. I didn't think like, I didn't think anybody loved me. I didn't think I deserved to be loved. I didn't think like I, 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 I was worth getting the help that I needed. So um, you never, you never, heal from what you're in denial of right. I do know that for a fact and that became a static anthem in my life that anytime that I was forced to 
you know, get the help, I would always run from it because I was in denial. And we know that obviously we have to know ourselves <laughs> to grow ourselves. And I didn't know myself, you know, mm-hmm. and what I knew of myself, I didn't think was good enough because nobody else seemed to want to get to know me more than just an exterior surface type relationship. So, um, you know, we have to get to the place in our lives where we can be by ourselves without feeling alone. And that's, that took me a long time to get to that point in my life. And so I continued to just run and run from growth. If there was any opportunity to grow, uh, I would only grow so much and then I would revert back to what was familiar mm-hmm. to me. So, uh, you know, you, you enjoy your own company. <laughs> you know, I learned how to enjoy my own comf- company, feel sorry for myself, you know, su- suppress all those emotions and suppression obviously will lead to depression. So I went from not caring about life anymore to not caring about living. And I stayed so busy because I didn't want to know who I truly was. And uh, took me took me uh, about uh, 18 months after that to realize that, you know, God can take us through our pain and show us our purpose. Because a lot of times our purpose is often found in our pain. And so, um, so that's kind of the snapshot there that took me into a whole different season of my life where I heard somebody on the radio in the backseat of my mom's car one day that just spoke to my heart, cut me to the quick, and I felt like for the first time, my life just might matter. But I'll stop right there and just turn it over to you before I take us down that path. Oh, no, Jason. Thank you so much. Um, That's why I love having these conversations, because when people authentically share their story with others, there are people who may be feeling the same and don't know what to do with it. And, um, you know, it took me into my 40s to fully comprehend that I mattered, that I was worth it. Now, um, I was successful. I appeared happy. You know, I have, I have friends from junior high and high school who listen to this and they're like, what are you talking about? You were okay, but I wasn't, uh, you know, I was, um, I, I always want, I was a people pleaser. I always wanted to be the good kid and I was a middle child. And what I, I came to realize is that, um, because I was a good kid and I could take care of myself in a way I failed my parents because they didn't, you know, so, uh, so I, I, I brought a lot of baggage with me into adulthood, but you're so right. Once you take the time and for me, you know, the strangest thing for me was in my forties. Um, I got a tattoo on my wrist that says believe I needed, I needed to have that for me to start to see. And, and you, you and I are a part of the John Maxwell team and you've been on calls. So, you know, this this is an ongoing journey that we're, that we're on. And I am, I am blessed to walk it alongside you. So thank you for sharing. Well, I'm the blessed one and it's good to be on the journey with you for sure. Uh, well, thank you. Um, so, you know, you kind of alluded to a few things and um, I think I told you before we hit record, I was doing a little stalking of you, but uh, not in a bad way. 
Um, <laughs> and, and what was my response? My response was, you know what? I've got a little bit of dirt, actually probably a lot of dirt, but I'll own it if it's dirty. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm the same yeah. way. I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard me say, you know, I'm never going to run for public office because we, we all have dirt. We all have skeletons, but, but, you know, I'll own mine as well. But what I won't own, and, and this was something that I really learned over the past couple of years and the John Maxwell team and the mentors were, I'm not going to own the truth that's not mine because people are out there saying whatever they want because you know there are all those perfect people over here that judge all of us not perfect people so yeah i'm going to own it too but i'm not digging up dirt on you i i you have that page locked down i didn't get to see the dirt page so <laughs> it's out there though it's all good though I'll, it's helped me become who i am today that's for sure yeah well um what i really like about on your facebook profile you have the following, Jesus saved me, relationships fuel me, personal growth focuses me, and leadership ignites me. Well, we're, we're slightly different in age, but I feel like I'm your twin. You know, those words are quite powerful. So I'd really like to talk about that. Uh, you, you shared a little bit about your back story, and so I know why, but why those words talk about personal growth and leadership yeah you know the first thing that you said is my foundation that centers me and it's it's been the, the light that that leads me guides me if i adhere to it and uh, it's the lamp into my feet and that's you know that my relationship with with uh, with the lord you know i'm a person of faith and i honestly feel like you know, as as a teenager, when I was suicidal and depressed, when I spoke to God for the very first time from my heart, that he heard me. Mm -hmm. And he reached down and, and, and put his, you know, loving arms around me. And, and I'll never forget that moment. And that's one thing that I can say in true authenticity that nobody can ever take away from me that that moment was real. Mm -hmm. And of course, it wasn't a magic moment that immediately changed me, but it gave me the courage to continue to step forward and move in a direction that I knew was right, even if I didn't know the outcome. And I began to trust the unknown future to a, a known God that I could commune with on a daily basis. And, and I remember uh, Psalm 27, seven through 10 was one of the, the first passages of scripture. And again, for those of you that are listening, I, I'm not trying to pour or dump my spirituality or faith on you but it is who I am and I would be remiss and inauthentic if I didn't share this but that passage of scripture leapt off the pages to me as I began to study you know God's word and, and, and pursue or that relationship and that passage says uh, hear O God when I when I cry aloud be gracious to me and answer me uh, you have said seek my face my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not, your, turn not from your servant in anger uh, who, who you have been, for you have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. I, I, uh, I have to say that, you know, that truly was God reach, reaching out 
to me and letting me know that I'm there for you. So um, if you've ever been in a house of mirrors before, you know that, that it distorts truth. Right. You know, there's all kinds of mirrors there. And I knew the house of mirrors well because I grew up there. I lived there for years, for decades. Feelings of inferiority, insecurity, inadequacy. Um, you know, it all held me captive to a less than bountiful life, you know. And so I was misshaped by, misshaped by, by others, uh, words that interpreted me and, and looked at me as a needy little boy who, who wasn't normal, but all along I just wanted to be accepted and loved. That's all it boils down to. Yeah. So, so that's my foundation. And, and, and at age 14, it was pure Providence, 15 years old, right in that, that area. I, I heard John Maxwell on the radio for the very first time. It was in the backseat of my mom's car. We were going to church and for whatever reason, we were going to church and the church we were going to was a, was a plant, a new plant church that uh, met in a carpet building where the pews were rolls of carpet. And wow. so I, I remember thinking this is crazy, but I, I said, yes, I would go because I, I, I didn't have anything else to do. And for some reason I felt like I should have, but I sat in the backseat of my mom's car. I always traveled in the backseat of my mom's car because if we ever got into a fight, she couldn't, she couldn't hit me in the backseat. <laughs> she couldn't reach me. Sometimes she'd pull over and try to, but no, but it's, uh, it's, it's crazy that we were on our way to church and she turned the radio on and it was one of the first times we were ever going to church and she turned it to, 93.3 the joy fm in atlanta and that was the only christian radio station of the day and i remember reluctantly listening to whoever this was on the radio and i had no idea it was john maxwell i didn't even know who john maxwell was but whoever it was at that time uh it the message spoke to me and i remember by the time we made it to the church parking lot the sermon was almost over and I was weeping in the back seat of my mom's car and I sat there and had one-on-one -on -one time with God and I remember telling him you know I feel hopeless and helpless but I believe that if you're there you'll show me that I have a purpose and that's what I need is I just need to know that my life matters and that I do have purpose and uh, that was that was the uh, not just the epiphany but um, the uh, uh, the moment where, where I knew that I didn't have to have all the answers, but somehow it was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And so, so I was struggling there. My pituitary uh, gland wasn't working and I wasn't growing. I, like I said, I stopped growing at age 12. And I remember hearing that message on the radio thinking that, that, you know, I might be able to grow in relationship with the Lord and grow on the inside if I couldn't grow on the outside. And that's what I began to do. I, I began to not worry so much about the things I couldn't control, but secretly hoping that somebody would still come alongside of me and put their arm around, arms around me and, 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 and tell me that they wanted to help me get some help. So that's kind of where my leadership journey began. And I fell off the wagon a lot. I did, you know, I, I, uh, I can't say that it was all sunshines and unicorns and rainbows after that and and that, that that I somehow was this prodigal child that uh that 
people admired. No, I mean, my teachers, honestly, they didn't think I was going to make it. <laughs> they didn't. They knew my sister was on track, but they didn't think I was, uh, was going to make it. But, uh, but that was, that's how it all began for me. And um, it's, uh, it's been something that made an impact on my life. And um, I'll, I'll, never, I'll never forget that as long as I live. And, you know, my journey to where I'm at today all started with turning the mirror of life on myself and and uh, looking at me for the first time through the eyes of uh of a savior yeah. and it made all the difference in the world thank you thank you that's you know i i am a person of faith and um i i understand what you're talking about in those moments uh you know i remember growing up every sunday we were we were dragged to church i turned i literally felt, felt that way it was i didn't want to be there i was terrified of the priest you know we had such a stern priest and kind of got away from it a little bit but then when i came back to it my faith is my foundation and you know there have been moments in my life especially um you know uh last two or three years with the situation with our youngest child that if i did not have my faith we wouldn't have made it. And, you know, one of the things that I'm always blessed and thankful is that my boys have their faith. So when the youngest was going through a really difficult time, I'll never forget that he sent home, um, he sent a note. And on the back of the note, we were, you know, he's kind of writing some things on it. At the bottom of the note, he said, don't worry about me. If God got me to it, he'll get me through it. Amen. And I was like, we're good nothing else matters we're good you know so so i i understand what you're saying and one of the things that i absolutely love you know we'll talk about the john maxwell team here in a minute but what i love about john maxwell is he is a person of faith when he talks you know he says now a person of faith now don't don't y'all who aren't don't go worrying you know just sit and listen i'm like and for me um when i exited corporate i, I could never really talk about my faith in the corporate world, even though people knew what my faith was. And oddly enough, people could talk about their views that were very contradictory and hurtful to my faith. But you know, I wasn't allowed I wasn't allowed to talk about mine. And so one of the amazing things, you know, just being out on my own, if I want to pray for somebody, if I want to say God bless you, I can and I do. And it is just so you never have to uh, apologize on the cannoli coach about faith because I get it. <laughs> no, all right. Well, I appreciate that. And I don't hide from it or, or I'm not shy about it either, but I do respect everybody else's position and, and um, don't ever want anybody to think that I'm pushing my faith on them at all. No, I, don't, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think they do, but I just want to make I, sure that our listeners know that. Well, I appreciate that, you know, and, and, and I'm the same way. I mean, I, when, when it's time for me, you know, to face my maker, I would like to at least be able to show that I did live a life of faith. And if I could bring somebody to the table, you know, I tell the story one time and I was talking to a priest about it. And he was like, we got to stop. I got to ask you a few questions. So when, um, when the situation with our youngest happened, um, I was working out in the gym and one of the guys that I worked out with was an atheist. I mean, he wore t-shirts that said, you know, there is no God. And, and it, we were good friends and it always cracked me up because I'm like, you know, you know, I'm Catholic and, you know, and so when the situation happened, he was so supportive. And I remember talking to him one day and I said, you know, 
you are saying the same things to me that my Catholic friends are saying. You're just saying it different. And, and he's like, and I said, I will bring you to God's table. He's like, no, no, many have tried, many have tried. And I'll never forget one time, he sent me a text to check on, check on me. And he quoted a verse from the Bible and he had it spot on. And I waited until I saw him the next time. I said, I told you, you took a little step closer, but. Um. <laughs> That's awesome. See, it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing. If we just live our, our best lives every single day, uh, you know, people are taking notes and we're, we're, uh, you know, we're Jesus with skin on. We really are. We have wow. that opportunity, that, that impact. I love that. Thank you. So, so you did mention John Maxwell and you and I are both team members of, of the, on the John Maxwell team. And that's how I got to meet you. And, you know, I tell my listeners all the time, um, this is the best investment I ever made in my life was to join this team, not only for myself, but for those I help. But I'm telling you, just to meet amazing people like you and all the others. And so I think that's really cool. I did not know that backstory that that was John's voice all those years ago that spoke to you. So that, that, that just kind of gave me chills when you said that, so thank you. Um, but you and I get to spend a lot of our Tuesdays together with um, who I, I think is the best leadership mentor ever, Mark Cole. And for those who may not know Mark, Mark is the CEO of Olive John's Enterprises. And you had coined Tuesdays as the leadership laboratory which I absolutely love. So what draws you to be on those calls week in, week out? Um, it's my commitment for personal growth. You know, uh, obviously uh, I want to be as close to the fire as possible. And, and I, I think having the privilege and the access that we have to uh, these incredible thought leaders that, um, that aren't just waxing eloquently, that aren't, aren't just talking heads. I mean, these are people that, uh, that are, have been in the trenches and there's a reason why Mark's rise to CEO, you know, started in, 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 the, in the stocking room, you know, and John, <laughs> John doesn't miss anything, you know, he pays attention to everything. Uh, even when you don't think that he is, he, he is taking notes, mental notes. And so, uh, because of the impact that John had on my life at such a young, young age, I remember for my 15th birthday, I told my grandfather uh, that I wanted, uh, I wanted, I wanted this, this tape club from, from this preacher in San Diego. Uh, all I know is it's, it's enjoy, uh, in, enjoy, uh, enjoy ministries, but he's got tapes and I get, I would get tapes every month. And he looked at me and he says, he said, that's really what you want for your birthday? I said, yeah. So he got me, he got me the, the Enjoy Tape Club, and I, I, I began listening to all those sermons and, and messages that I didn't hear before then, and uh, so, you know, it helped, it helped me stay on, pat, on, on, on track, but it also helped me on the path that I was on to navigate me, and so uh, being on the Tuesday night calls with Mark and, you know, you and so many others that just, you know, take me to higher ground and mm -hmm. make me feel like I've had a shower on the inside. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, it's great, you know, but, but, but it's more than, it's more than that. It's, it's to edify and uplift and to compound our effectiveness and overall results in life. But in order to do that, we have to grow. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the bottom line. We have to grow. And, and, and it's my commitment to my personal growth 
to not miss those calls and to to be a part of them and to be as interactive as I can. And it, it always makes me better. And I know so many of us, you know, we celebrate birthdays and, and if we're not better on our next birthday than we were the last birthday, then we're wasting our time mm -hmm. and, our, and our potential and our opportunity to be used and, 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 and to really serve and, and help people uh, be more, do more, and become more than they ever would be without me. So you can't give what you don't have. And I, I want to be as authentic as I can, but uh, I love the feeling that I get, and I don't say this out of arrogance at all, but I love the feeling that I get that I can look tomorrow, look back tomorrow on today and find out how I've improved in some areas. Yes. And then doing that a year later helps me realize that, you know, we'll never arrive I've got a lot of work to do, but I'm not the same person that I was. So I'm not just flipping the, ca the calendar and being an unconscious observer of life and just going through life by default. I'm being a conscious architect of what is important to me and that is my potential. And it's, it's like John says, you know, uh, you know, God's gift to us is our potential. But, but our gift back to God is always gonna be what we do with that potential. Awesome. So for me, it's for growth. Tuesday nights, I'm on those calls because growth is the only, is, is a guarantee that, and the guarantee is this, that tomorrow is going to be better than it was today, if we grow. And so that's the only guarantee in life. I mean, really, that and, and our salvation, if we, we made that decision. So um, I always want to get better. I always want to be active in the virtue of, of, of being an optimist and helping others and, and having the growth mindset that allows me to embrace whatever life throws at me and look at it from the, the lens and the viewpoint of there's a reason for this, this too shall pass, but what, uh, what can I learn from this moment? Whatever that moment may be. It may be in Atlanta traffic for me, because sometimes I feel like I lose my religion in Atlanta traffic. <laughs> And I'm so glad that nobody can see me, but immediately because of my awareness, I, I am convicted. I'm like, okay, how could I have handled that situation a little bit better? And I'm not get, telling everybody they're number one. I don't do that. <laughs> I, do, I do say some things under my breath that may not be audible, but I think it, and I have to hold that thought captive. So Tuesday nights are incredible, but yeah, you're right. The entire, the entire opportunity that we have to be in such a growth environment that's intentional with some of the greatest people that you'll find on the planet, with some of the greatest leaders uh, that can lead, guide, and direct us and show us the potholes, mm -hmm. not do the work for us, but bring the work to us. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely amazing. So uh, every level of growth requires a new level of change. And if we're not willing to change, we'll never grow. So, and it's not an automatic process. We don't just, you know, up, end up on the top of the mountain. We know that. We have to work our way up there. And sometimes it's like climbing a sand dune in Northwest Indiana. I was born in Michigan City. There's a, a dune state park that's now a national park. Uh, <laughs> there's these huge dunes, mountains of sand that were pushed up by the toe of the glacier, you know, thousands of years ago to make Lake Michigan. And then when I say mountains, I mean, we've got Kennesaw Mountain in my backyard here in Georgia. 
and it's pretty big. I mean, some of the mountains are like that big of sand, but if you've ever tried to climb a really tall sand dune, it takes a lot of work. Mm -hmm. You know, you take a step up and then you slide back down. You take another step, you slide back down. And that's life, but that's, that's also growth in the process. You know, you're going to slide down a little bit, but the, the question is, do you have the blinders on? Do you have your heels dug in the sand? And do you have your eyes set on getting to the top of that sand dune mountain? And uh, so growth to me is, is kind of kind of like that. And Tuesdays are, are that for me, especially, and I don't miss them if I can help it for sure. Yeah, no, thank you. And uh, what, what a great description of growth. Um, this is, this is why I hang out on Tuesdays with you and the others, because it fuels me, it feeds me, I'm better for it. And I, I'm like you as well. You know, the only person that I try to be better than is the person that I was the day before, because that I, I have to be able to do better and move forward. And you had mentioned something about John that, you know, John doesn't miss a beat. And, you know, he was keeping his eye on Mark. Well, John kind of put his eye on you recently. And, you know, you, you won the John C. Maxwell DNA Culture Award. And I, I was blessed to be in the room when that honor happened to watch it. So what was that, what was that moment like being on stage with the man who started you on a path forward so many years ago? Um, there's really no words. And again, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, I don't expect anybody to understand. Everybody has, has those uh, eureka, aha, you know, moments. Uh, there's a Greek word that's peripatia, and it's, uh, it translates into an awakening or a turning point. And that's, that's what that was in the backseat of my mom's car, was a, was a turning point. It was, a, it was a, an awakening for me. And, you know, my purpose in life, Kimberly, is, is to impact people, to be an agent of change um, that inspires and, and directs and motivates people in a positive direction towards the fulfillment of their potential and to live life on purpose. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's what life ended up being for me later because of John and, you know, him pastoring and then saying to me saying to myself that, you know, one day I hope I can meet this guy. And, and then, and then, of course, shortly after that, he decided to to make the transition. God told him, obviously, that I'm going to put you in the business community, uh, the leadership giftings and leadings that you have. I want you to use it in the secular world. And he did that. And I remember the first opportunity that I had to get his book. Um, it was uh, Think on These Things. I think it was the very first book that he ever read that he he doesn't like to tell anybody about because he's embarrassed about it. Which, you know. I mean, after writing 100 books, I'm, I'm sure number one is not near as good as one or number 100. Uh, and selling 33 million copies worldwide, obviously, it shows you that he knows what he's doing. But uh, I remember reading that book. That was the first book I could get my hands on. It was a used book. I still have it. And uh, I remember it, it becoming a um, uh, just something that helped me get through the day. It's a really short chapter and it made a difference. But in 1995, I, I read... Uh, becoming a um, uh, developing the leader within you uh, the, the first version and uh, I remember thinking wow I'm a leader I can be a leader and I soon after that went to Bible college and, and and pursued you know Bible studies degree but I remember reading that those books and saying to myself 
I want to meet him someday. And so in 1999, he was in Atlanta speaking for Promise Keepers, and I was there, and I remember seeing about 30,000 men rush the stage as he was <laughs> keynote speaker, and it was the most impactful uh, you know, certain talk I'd ever heard in my life. And, and to see all these men take the pride off their shoulders and fold it up and put it in their billfolds and walk up there and, and have one-on-one -on -one time with the creator of all that is and, and do business with God and see somebody that impacted my life the same way as a teenager just was powerful. So um, I did get to meet him and, and I, I, I did have the opportunity to, to, to work with a company that was in direct selling that I did you know really well at um, and, and be able to bring my, my group into a maximum impact uh, lesson or two here in Atlanta when he lived in Atlanta and they had the maximum impact um, uh, studio there. And so I, 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 I just, I have always felt a connection there to John in such a huge way. And, um, you know, I was even given the opportunity in, in 2011 to be an inaugural member of the John Maxwell team. But by that time, there had been three years of my life that took me off the rails and I didn't feel like my life was worth it. And that, um, you know, I, w I, I could justifiably be a leader or face John and, and have to be, be accountable for the last three years of my life. And I began to question my purpose. You know, we all have those moments where it's fleeting, you know, it's transient. We feel like we're on track one day and then sometimes, sometimes we don't. And I didn't embrace growth during that season of my life. But back to your question, that whole experience came full circle to me when, when they called my name and I was awarded, you know, a, 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 an award, a coveted award that has his name on it. And, and to be a value that I truly, I mean, I truly and intentionally try to model every single day because of the impact he had on my life as a teenager. So it was, it was a powerful moment for me, incredibly impactful moment for me that there are no words to describe how that made me feel um, whatsoever. So I, yeah, I mean, it's a very, very, powerful uh experience uh and i look at that trophy or that yeah that trophy often especially when when i'm having a rough day it reminds me that uh you know i got to keep moving oh you do and what i will say is the look on your face and the smile on your face when your name was called said it all yeah. it all so i it, don't know what that looked like but i'm sure it wasn't pretty <laughs> it was beautiful yeah you know I, I, it was absolutely beautiful so i i love that and you know so so jason professionally you've had a couple big things happening recently i know where you've had to do a couple of big presentations and you know you were getting ready for them and um someone wrote that they voted for you for the most exciting webinar opening because your energy is contagious. Mm -hmm. I always thought that was wonderful. So what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> what do I do? You know, I, I, whatever it is that I do when I do it, I always want to, I want to be intentional and purposeful when I do it. And I always try to figure out a way to boil it down to relationships and people, you know, that's what it boils down to me. And so uh, my corporate career, I am uh, uh, a national account executive for a company in the property management world that, that helps people, uh, you know, find jobs, uh, careers in the property management space. 
and it's a big industry. It's an unbelievable industry. It's uh, uh, I mean, we help put people to work in the industry, but we also help people find homes in the property management industry as well. So everything goes back, like I said, to people. Uh, but I'm a, a national account executive for BG Multifamily, and we're a 32-year-old staffing and recruitment and personnel firm. And it, over the last couple of years, it's, it's been a blessing for me to be able to utilize my giftedness and my passions and my strengths to help lead people, help impact individuals, but also organizations grow at the same time. And, and to steward that with the brand of my company has, has been great. So it's, it's been a, it's been a blessing. And I had the opportunity to the you know, webinar you're referring to, to actually be a host on, uh, you know, a, a, a up and coming 10 year old company that really does help educate our, our industry and help uh, kind of put a rudder on the ship to help people in our industry, uh, you know, learn how to do their jobs better, but also become better people as well. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, I did a little stalking. You're getting rave reviews, but more importantly, um, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing right now with your gifts. And I, and I think that that's just so important for, you know, when we figure out, and I say when we figure out, because it took me a while to figure out that I had gifts. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. And when we figure out what those are and then to use them more intentionally. So good. Uh, what's next for you in terms like professionally, where, where do you see yourself five, 10 years from now? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, there's no question about it. I'm going to be, I'm going to be in the throes of uh, making a difference or making a mess. I don't know one or the <laughs> other, but it's, but it's going to be in the, I'm going to be pointed in the direction that, that, that God is uh, destined for me to be, you know, and I'll either be dead on the way there or I'm going to figure out a way to get there. Uh, you know, I really hope that there's going to be some uh, opportunities. I believe in divine intersections. I believe in sliding doors. I believe in, in God ordering our footsteps. I believe God honoring our hearts and giving us the desires of our hearts when we're, when we're authentic and our motives are pure and we really want to do good with this life that he's given us. Cause we get one shot. That's it. That's one right. shot. So, so, for, so for me, yeah, I really, I really don't know what the, what the, what the future holds, but my, my goal is to be able to, have a broader impact on people uh, to, to somehow affect more of the masses and what I do. I want to perfect my, my story. I think uh, the more, the more that uh, more times I tell my story, which I haven't even finished my entire story yet. Um, and I do want to do that because it's kind of a cliffhanger and it's, it's, it's been, uh, you know, intentional that I haven't said it all. Uh, but I, I want to be able to impact people that, uh, that have had hardships in their life uh, that uh, don't feel like that there's any way to overcome that they there's nothing on the other side of their current circumstances. I want my story and my voice and my belief in them to be enough that they can borrow it until they believe in it for themselves. And I'm going to do that one way or the other. I'm going to do that in my career and, and, and the company that I'm with now if opportunities continue to develop and, or I'm, or I don't know, you know, there's, there's people talking to me right now for opportunities, but I haven't gotten the green light. I don't have the peace and I don't ever want to leave anything. I want to go to something, but I also want to leave whatever I'm doing better than I found it 
and I want to be instrumental in, in making a difference in those around me that create that ripple effect that affects more than just the environment or the arena that I was in. So I really don't know, but I know that I'm on track and I know I'm around the right people. Uh, and I know that, you know, our purpose is, is, is what we do, you know, but it's also uh, the filter in which we make those decisions at the same time. So I'm going to make decisions through the filter of my purpose and it's all going to work out. I, I believe it. I know it well. And, and I think I asked that question in a way because I knew how you were going to answer it. Um, because it's true. Um, you had mentioned wanting people to borrow your belief in them. And you know that that's what Mark says. And Mark said that to me on a call one time early on when I was really struggling. And I'll tell you what, first time I've ever heard that first time I ever did it and it worked and I'm the same. I, I just try to let people know, you know, rely on my belief in you until you can get yours to where it is. So just wonderful. Well, do you, do you want to finish your cliffhanger story? Yeah, I would love to. I think everybody needs to hear kind of how it all worked out. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't have all the answers, but I actually spent the next uh, several years in, you know, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, uh, not going through puberty and not, uh, and not being able to learn, having some struggles with, uh, with learning disabilities, obviously the social, emotional uh, piece to interacting with others. Uh, you know, I, uh, I, I struggled a lot there, but I always tell the story. I have no idea how I graduated from high school because I, I didn't, I didn't do all the work that was required. I, 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 I know that there's tests that I intentionally stayed home from that were required for, in order for me to graduate. Uh, so I don't really know how that all worked out, but here's what I do know. I do know that I, I, I intentionally valued my teachers and, and I was purposeful in my charisma with them and, and really showing an interest in them and connecting with them. Uh, I, I, I did that early on and they didn't always cut me any slack to the obvious, but obviously they, I have this recurring dream. It's not me in my underwear in front of thousands of people, <laughs> not really graduating from high school. So, um, so there was a lot of, a uh, lot of struggles there and you can just imagine the frustrating part for me was, uh, not having anybody take the time to put their arm around me and, and, and tell me I want to get you some help because I was 108 pounds soaking wet. I was about four foot 11. Like I said, I quit growing at, at age 12 and I struggled with, with retention, my cognition, uh, my six-year-old daughter right now uh, can read better than I really could. I never read my first book until think on these things. And so um, uh, I've really struggled a lot. And so I, I had to figure out a way to, to get through it. And I did. I remember going to college, got into college somehow and realized I had to show up in order to, once you actually get into college, you have to go there. I remember <laughs> going to, to my first semester and walking in as a, you know, a 19 year old uh, who looked 12. And, um, you know, I'll show you this picture. Nobody else can see it because, uh, because we're on a webinar. But, but if you can see that, I don't know if you can, uh, that's, yeah. Me. Yeah. that's me uh, as a, as a almost 19 year old. 
uh, obviously looking 12. Um, I, I, they thought I was like a Doogie Howser protege because uh, I look so young, but this kid, you know, this sixth grader obviously is very smart and I wasn't, so I didn't continue going on to, to college. So, um, I, uh, I, I remember it was, uh, the day that John Candy died. It was March the 14th, um, no, March the 4th, 1994. And it was 16 days before my 21st birthday. I called my doctor, Dr. Bachelor on the phone. He's the only doctor I'd seen for, uh, seven years since I've been in, in Georgia and I told him I had an earache and I'd always had these seasonal earaches my entire life and I showed up at his office and he looked at my chart and said which ear is it this time and I said I don't have an earache and he looked at the chart against us says you have an earache I said I don't have an earache and he looked at me off the you know the, the top of his glasses and he says well why are you here and I remember looking at him and telling him Dr. Bachelor, do I look like I'm about to turn 21 years old do I sound like I'm 21 years old and he looked at me he looked at my chart and he says you're 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 almost 21 I said yes sir and he looked down again he goes wow he said I wish I I wish I had been paying attention Ooh. and so yeah and a tear ran down his cheek at the same time you know he he uh he diagnosed uh, tried to you know he, he checked me out and then called Emory University Hospital and long story short it was a, on a Friday at four o'clock and I jumped in my my vehicle they hadn't told anybody anything yet and he got me into an emergency MRI and all kinds of a battery of tests and um, they determined that I have a diseased pituitary gland and my pituitary uh, doesn't work and it's likely due to potentially some things in utero when I was uh, you know, uh, being carried by my mom, or it could potentially have been that bicycle accident when I, I hit my head on the asphalt and blacked out. They don't know what it is, but uh, it's inactive. Told me I'd never have kids, and uh, told me I'd have to have all this psychotherapy, all this, all this counseling. Uh, we can get you on track, but you know, you're going to be on uh, maintenance medication for the rest of your life, uh, which we don't know the long-term effects and and all that. And so I said, well, whatever, whatever I need to do you know, let me get it figured out. And so uh, my brain never networked properly because I didn't have a true ad adolescence. And so I struggle with, with retention. I struggle with my memory. I struggle with um, memory fog a lot. And it's becoming more and more prominent as I'm getting older now, as I'm doing what I love to do. I've had moments where I'm on stage or in front of uh, a client and doing a training and just completely forget everything that I'm saying. And I can't remember what I just said. So there's still some hiccups and issues, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a father uh, to two beautiful girls, six and 13. They're angels. Um, they're, you know, my world. I love everything about being a dad and having the opportunity to, to shower my love and my belief on them and help mold them and shape them and fashion them into the young women that God's called them to be. So there's, uh, there's a lot of stuff in between. I, I, I've left out, but for, for the most part, the most important thing that I think people need to know about my story is the fact that, you know, adversity is going to come one way or the other. It's up to us if we want, want that adversity to define us or if we make the conscious effort to let that adversity refine us. It's our choice to change that D into an R. And it took me a long time to figure it out and a lot of mistakes along the way. 
but you know, thank God for the guardrails and the and the signs and the people and forgiveness because he has a way of taking uh, our, our our experiences in life and never waste one of them if we just allow them to help us be who it is that he's created us to be. So that's the that's the power of adversity in somebody's life for sure. And I've forgiven my my mom and my dad have been walking in forgiveness for years. You know, my dad's my, my uh, you know, he's my hero. He's like John Wayne and General Patton wrapped up in <laughs> Grizzly Adams, you know, and, and, and I love him to death. And I love my mom. I pray for her every single day and I stay in touch. And I'm the only person that, that even talks to her these days. She's alone, but not alone because I'm, I'm still in her life. So, um, you know, God, God can give you the ability to, walk in forgiveness, but we have to take the first step. Oh, amen. I'm so glad that you wrapped that up because it's, it's, it's so powerful. It is so powerful. And, you know, as a mother, my boys are 22 and 25. And, you know, I, when they were little, you could shield them from everything. And I really wish that I could continue to do that as they grow, grew, but you can't and things happen, life happens. And it's truly what's inside of you and how you deal with it. And, and I've stutter stopped <laughs> a number of times in my life as well. But um, I am just, I'm just thankful that you shared that story. And Jason, I just, again, I just want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, I, I just so enjoyed talking with you, but more importantly, I want to thank you for being a dear friend. I mean, you are just like this positive, supportive light in my life that's helped me, and probably unbeknownst to you, but it has helped me through some really difficult times. So, you know, I'm blessed by your friendship, truly. Well, well I'm honored to, to hear those words, and it, they're humbling indeed, and, and it works both ways. You know, it's definitely reciprocal, because I'm, I'm better because of you too, so... Uh, thank you for for taking me to higher ground often well thank you thank you and I truly want to thank our listeners you know I am blessed each and every time you tune in and listen so please follow me so you don't miss any upcoming episodes and connect with me at KimberlyHambrick.com because I'd really love to hear your feedback and as always until next time let's leave the frustration and take the cannoli 